You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Um, thanks for being here. Today is the third of a five-week series on faith and culture, and this uh, this week we're talking about Rwanda, and I will talk for about 30 seconds, and then the rest of the team will take it away. Um, so please join me as we pray. Oh, uh, Father of all nations, we, uh, we give thanks for who you are, and we give thanks for um, the opportunity that this group had to see your work in a different part of the world, and we thank you for um, the opportunity of, of seeing your hand work through the local Rwandans. And, and we pray that this time, as we reflect on our experience and share it with other people from the Advent Lord, that your name will be lifted high and that you will show us more of who you are in your son, Jesus Christ. We ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So um, just as a way of brief introduction, um, eight people this year, this summer, got to go visit the Shiradiasis in Rwanda, which is located in Musanze, up in the mountains about an hour and a half outside of Kigali. Um, this relationship started about two years ago when Drayton Neighbors, who's a friend of the Advents, asked Andrew Pearson if he would be interested in hosting a doctoral student um, and his family for a year. And Susan was on that team, Susan Elliott, and um, and he said yes. And so that opened the doors to our relationship with the Shira Diocese. So Sam Magisha and his family um, spent a year with us. Um, and through that time, we got to know Bishop Banda. Um, and then when Sam went back home, a group went, went and visited him last summer. And we've just continued that relationship. So we're in partnership with them um, and have, have so much to learn from them. Um, when I came back um, after the first trip, I sat down with Andrew and said, um, we've got to figure out what we bring to the table in this relationship because they're the ones that have so much to teach us. I'm not sure what we have to give, um, but we keep venturing forward in relationship um, and it's been a really special thing. So um, Shirley is going to talk with us about the culture since we're talking about faith and culture. Um, well, come on up. Good. Okay. All right. Well, good morning. Um, so Rwanda, y'all are getting to see some pictures. It's known as the land of a thousand hills. It's a mountainous landlocked country in East Central Africa. I knew none of this before we went. Um, it's bordered by Uganda to the north, Tanzania to the east, Burundi in the south, and Congo to the west. It's tiny. Um, about 10,000 square miles, which we think is about a quarter the size, a third the size of the state of Alabama. That gives you any idea. Current population, though, is about 12 million people. They're made up of three groups, the Hutu, the Tutsi, and the Twa tribes. Official languages are Kinyarwanda, English, French, and Swahili. Most are Christians, probably 70%, but many of them also participate in traditional indigenous religious practices. And so many of you know that Rwanda struggled with its legacy of ethnic tension between the majority Hutu tribes and the minority Tutsi tribes. And most blame that on the colonial influences of Germany and Belgium and even the Catholic Church from back in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. The current leader is Paul, Paul Kagame, president, and he led the rebel army that ended the 94 genocide, in which almost a million 
Tutsis and moderate Hutus were slaughtered. So when George and I had the opportunity to go with Bethany and the group to Rwanda, I was really excited, but I was also apprehensive about venturing so far out of my comfort zone. Our daughter Elizabeth's experience serving in Nicaragua challenged us, though, and her four years of living in such a different culture changed her and broadened her understanding of cultural differences. So now, when I fret over some annoying issue that is common in our everyday life, like my schedule or the internet, I'm try, I try to remember what we learned from Elizabeth's experience, that so many things that frustrate me are first world problems, and that for most people in third world and developing countries, they're so far, my problem is so far out of the realm of possibility for them that they would have no idea what I'm talking about, worrying about. So understanding cultural differences is really important. And it was a running theme for us before and during our time in Rwanda. Part of our preparation was studying books, um, helping without hurting, this book, and reading about the genocide and the post-genocide Rwanda. We knew, we learned that this was going to be a different kind of trip. We weren't going to be building anything tangible. We weren't going to be digging a well, working in a health clinic while we were there. But our purpose was to learn from, encourage, and have fellowship with believers in Rwanda, specifically the Shira Diocese, in the context of building the Advent's long-term engagement with the work that God is already doing there, and to better understand the body of Christ and our role in it. So as we prepared, we realized that, like Bethany said, we had so much to learn from these Christian brothers and sisters halfway around the world about reconciliation, forgiveness, and faith. So it's easier to learn from other people when you have a level of understanding and trust. How do you build that relationship with people who live in such a different culture? We needed to understand some basic cultural differences, cultural norms around the world. As you might imagine, the U.S. is really different from cultures in Africa in many ways, starting with the obvious differences in our physical appearance. In fact, for us, Mazungas, which is what they call white people um, in Rwanda, as hard as we tried to blend in with our long skirts and our conservative clothing, it was really impossible for us to hide that we were other. <laughs> um, but, of course, the differences really go deeper than our outward appearance. So I'm going to talk about a few different aspects of these differences that we saw while we were there. And these are kind of universal. First is the concept of time and how do you view time. Some cultures view time as a limited resource that's used carefully and not wasted. They're task-oriented. They value punctuality, efficiency, and schedules. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Um, other cultures view time as infinite, limitless, and always being renewed. In those cultures, relationships tend to be valued more over schedules, tasks, and efficiency. A second difference is in the concept of self and identity. Individualistic cultures celebrate the self and the individual's unique identity. Freedom of choice and autonomy are valued over the group, sometimes at the expense of group harmony. In a collectivist culture, on the other hand, values the group, whether it's your family, your tribe, your church, your country, over the individual. Interdependence and the unity of the group are more highly valued 
than a person's independence and autonomy. And decisions are made based on what's best for the group. A third concept is that of what they call face saving or face, meaning a person's reputation in a group setting. So in face saving cultures, communication is usually indirect, it's tactful, involves body language and tone of voice. These cultures are usually collectivist in that group harmony and unity are highly valued. And they often don't say what they mean. In fact, they may lie to avoid saying something that would shame the other person. On the other hand, a low face-saving culture values truth, direct, transparent communication. So just imagine how that difference can affect communication between and cooperation between people of those different kinds of cultures. When someone from a low face-saving culture gives a direct request, um, honest feedback to someone from a high face-saving culture, it can be interpreted as being rude or just too blunt. Someone from a low face-saving culture probably wants the other individual to just say what they mean. So think about email communication and that sort of, with those sorts of differences, it can be disastrous. Then lastly, um, I want to talk about the concept of authority and how we view authority. In some cultures, individuals have high respect for authority figures and they accept that there may be an unequal distribution of power. The general population acknowledges their role in the hierarchy, their place, and that they just follow orders. Other cultures view their leaders as equals at best and often with more skepticism. And they generally don't hesitate to question authority. Again, does that sound familiar? <laughs> um, this kind of culture believes that each person has an equal right to participate in decision making. Respect for leaders has to be earned and it's not generally an entitlement just by virtue of the office. So certainly there's a range with these cultural differences. But in general, here in the US, we tend to be at one end of the spectrum, whereas the cultures in Africa tend to be at the other. And it's not saying that one is better than the other, but they're just very different. So for example, here in the US, we tend to view time as limited. We value efficiency and schedules. We value independence, the uniqueness of the individual, and that the individual can be all that he or she can be. We want the truth. We want direct, transparent communication. And we generally question authority. We see our le leaders as equals. We believe we all have the same rights to participate in decisions. Whereas in Rwanda and in Africa cultures in general, they view time as re a renewable resource. It's always renewing every day. They value relationships over efficiency. They value the needs of the group and interdependent relationships instead of or over the individual. They generally communicate indirectly and will do everything to preserve a person's reputation rather than to shame that person. And then they have a high view of authority with a very deferential respect for their leaders. So Rwanda's government was one issue that illustrated these differences for us. There were several different issues, but one in particular for me. And some of us were uncomfortable with the political situation there. President Kagame took office in 2000 when his predecessor resigned, and then he was elected to seven-year terms in 2003 and again in 2010. In 2016, Rwandans voted by referendum to allow 
the president to serve a total of five seven-year terms. And then he was reelected by a landslide this past summer right after our trip. So he could be in office for 35 years or more. And by most standards, while that seems really strange to us, by most standards in Rwanda, he's been a hugely successful and popular leader. And there's tremendous loyalty to him for bringing an end to the 94 genocide and for causing reconciliation in what would otherwise be a completely impossible situation. But others accuse him of heavy-handed tactics, oppression and censorship, and fear that he's become a dictator. We learned that it's just a complicated issue. And like most things, um, if we try to view their political situation through our American lens, with our low and often skeptical view of authority, it really wasn't appropriate or helpful. On the flip side, we saw that the Rwandan people with their higher view of authority seemed to find it easier to trust in our sovereign God, to recognize their dependency on God for his love, provision, and mercy. While we, on the other hand, too often struggle with the idea of submitting to any sovereign except ourselves. Um, so it's easy to get hung up on these differences and even be paralyzed by them a little bit. But we learn that really deep down, we all have the same basic needs and desires for love, security, a home, family, friends. When we worshiped with Rwandans at the local churches or spent time with the children, parents and teachers at the Reconciliation Village Preschool or studied the Bible, shared meals with our new friends, the cultural differences began to fade, as you probably have seen in some of these pictures. It was clear that we worship the same Jesus who came to save us. And it was so easy to see the love of Christ in these people and to embrace them as our brothers and sisters in his body. So I'm going to turn it over to Susan, right? No, Charlie, sorry. No, that's great. Thank you, Phil. That was awesome. Appreciate that. Um, I'll be a little bit briefer, uh, but that was great. Thank you so much. Uh, my topics on faith and uh, culture and post-genocide, and I'm going to kind of give you a broad spectrum of, of uh, on my topic. And for you know, back when we started this, Will Womack mentioned about what is culture and asked everybody, give me a definition of culture. And I just first thought that came to mind was identity. What is the identity? Going over is thinking, you know, what is Rwanda really going to be known for? What's going to be their identity, especially post-genocide? Is it going to be the genocide? Is that what they're going to be known for throughout history? We learned absolutely not. This is literally the greatest reconciliation in a, in a country that I can imagine. Um, the the culture is, you know, it's, it's post-genocide culture is not ever to forget this horror, but rise above it. And in this book over here, The Antelope Strategy, written by Gene Hartsfield, uh, he interviews a lady, Mary Louise Cagorier, who stated that we are striving to rise above ourselves. And I think that's phenomenal because is it, is it each person one at a time forgiving or seeking forgiveness? Is it a forced government program where you're taking one day off every month for community service? And they do this from the president on down. They take a day off. Every month, they're either painting schools or churches or sweeping streets, and they take pride in this. Or is it a well-meaning missionary providing aid and support to other countries? Or is it faith and trust that only God can provide? That I must rise above myself 
But I know that I cannot do that alone or by government program alone or by missionary program alone. It has to be complete faith and trust in God, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Rwanda, through their faith and post-genocide culture, is setting an example for the rest of the world to follow, to emulate the greatest reconciliation in, of mankind in modern history. That is their identity. Only by the power of God. Again, to Him be all the glory. It is my prayer that all of you have an opportunity to witness this incredible power of God firsthand. As all of us on this trip said over and over, words and photos will be woefully inadequate. As we are attempting to communicate this to you in about 40 minutes, i.e. the explosion of Christianity throughout the country is phenomenal. The true love and respect for one another, building relationships, as Shirley just said, and the respect and admiration for uh, of other countries that come there around the world that are really taking notice of this. Two days after we got back, USA Today had an article about Rwanda, almost a full-page article, talking about this reconciliation, the economy, the transformation. Everyone take notice. This is real, and it's just it was just phenomenal. Not to mention the 300 new churches that are planted by the Tree Diocese alone, 178 confirmed in the Sunday morning service. 178, just in one service. Medical clinics being built throughout the country. And I could go on and on. Everywhere we went, we saw this genuine love for one another, not just in the churches, not just in the schools where we were, not just for us, but walking the marketplaces and the streets and so forth. Very, very clean. And again, they're very, very proud of this. It was just, it was astounding. So I hope that in some small measure, the Lord has touched your heart to know the love of God, His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit in us, the triune God, living and active, fulfilling His promise to reconcile all of us back to Him for all eternity, using this tiny country of Rwanda, post-genocide, faith and culture, as one tremendous example. Okay, thank you. I'm going to turn it over to Susan. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. Let me just hold this. Um, so I was going to talk to you all a little about about humility because um, we were all humbled to be able to participate in this trip. And um, we were very grateful for the Advent um, having this ministry to begin with. And we're so thankful for Bethany. We really could not have gone um, without Bethany's help. So um, if we look to the Bible in Philippians um, about humility, it, it instructs us, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. In being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Bethany invited us to go on this journey, and 
I was so fortunate to get to know the Magishas when they were here. Um, I guess it's been two years ago now. And so I was um, excited to get to see them again and see their little girls. And I have never been to Africa, and I love animals. And so it was for those reasons that I went. But God used this trip for all of us for so much more. So before we went, Bethany had us read a number of things. And I think I'll just sort of pass these, and then people can just look at them. Um, one book um, Shirley alluded to, which is this Helping Without Hurting, which is a guide to short-term missions, and it talks a lot about the cultural differences, the way we look at things and the way that other countries and other cultures look at things. So that was pretty outstanding. Um, and then um, we read the book The Antelope Strategy, and The Antelope Strategy, basically what that is, is um, antelopes, in order to avoid, to avoid being killed, they run and disperse. And so that is what the Rwandan people had to do during the genocide. And that was really heavy to trudge through all of that, and still is. We went to the Genocide Memorial Museum in Kigali. Oh, good. And um, I mean, there are still people's remains that are being buried today that they're finding. And um, it was... Um, very, very moving, to say the least. And there were people from um, all different nationalities when we were visiting this museum. And um, we had an audio recording, but some of the images were just, it was so upsetting. I mean, it was it was really something to see. And the thing about the genocide in Rwanda is it happened most recently in 1994, but it also happened twice prior within the same century. So there, this is a pattern, um, and it's incredible the way they have been able to um, overcome this with God's help. So um, then we read another really interesting book called Left to Tell, which is Discovering the Rwandan Holocaust by Immaculate um, Ilibageza, I think is her last name. And she was a college student, and she was home visiting her family during Easter um, in 1994 when the, um, when the country of Rwanda was transformed by the horror of this genocide. And most of her family was murdered, and she was able to survive with um, seven other women. She was in a bathroom of a local pastor's house, and God gave her a vision telling her to put an armoire in front of the bathroom door. And so people came repeatedly searching for her, but because this armoire was in front of the door, um, they didn't realize that people were beyond that space. So, um, but it's a wonderful account of God's protection. She was in this bathroom for 91 days, um, and it was very small. Um, not at all like what we think of with our Western bathrooms. But it's a great account of God's protection and his faithfulness and the power of prayer and also of forgiveness for the perpetrators. And so in 2007, <coughs> she established a charitable foundation, which is called the Left to Tell Charitable Fund. And to this day, it supports Rwandan orphans. So, um, but we approached this trip in great humility, knowing that we really had nothing to offer. I mean, we were so grateful for the advent and for this opportunity to be able to go. But honestly, we really didn't have anything to offer. And we um, were the recipients of so much more. So that was pretty, pretty profound. Um, and, and learning to receive like that. Um, their, their dress, the women wear long skirts. 
I didn't own a long skirt except for like a ball gown. And um, <laughs> so we, you know, a number of us borrowed clothes from friends. So that's how, you know, when you're borrowing clothes, that's humbling in the first place, you know. And um, so, but we tried to be very respective of their local culture. Um, you can see our friends from the trip all had garments made. Um, the Rwandans have these beautiful fabrics. They're these, these cottons that um, have wax over them, and they're um, perfect for their climate. Um, it's, pretty, it's pretty dusty there, and so this um, wax over the cotton batik helps the fabric to last, and they make really beautiful things, beautiful tablecloths, and, um, the, and there was no end to the array of patterns. The beauty in Rwanda was incredible. Um, the people are beautiful. The women wear very little makeup. Their skin is beautiful. The colors are beautiful. The country is beautiful. It's it's literally the land of thousand hills, and it's so green. And um, the vegetation, the wildlife is just amazing. We were fortunate to um, see zebra and eleven species of antelope and giraffe, and I could go on and on. It was just extraordinary. Um, I, w I will say that in our humility, we were sort of the opposite. We would see groups at the airport that would have like um, saving Africa or, you know, building this or building that. We, we didn't do any of that, but um, we were grateful for the way that God did use us, and we were really grateful for the friends that we made and um, just the uh, love and kindness that was shown to us. Um, Bishop Mabanda was so generous to us, as was his wife Chantal and his assistant Millie. Um, we just had a, a wonderful a wonderful time and um, the local churches were amazing um, their singing is so beautiful and they would sing and welcome as we would walk up these hills to these churches it must be what it's like going to heaven it was really incredible and um, I would just say that they were so generous with what they had um, their standards are different from our standards but we were fortunate to be welcomed into a local pastor's home and um, we were served drinks there, and um, they were just they were just so lovely and so kind, and it was just really an extraordinary adventure. And um, it, we're so grateful for the partnership that the Advent has, and you all as pledging members of the Advent are a part of this partnership. Whether you go to Rwanda or not, you're already supporting their ministry, which is pretty incredible. So thank you. Anne? Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to ask Bethany to come up really quickly and um, I'm going to talk just a little bit about a preschool that we got to visit um, in Rwanda that's in Reconciliation Village and I didn't really know what Reconciliation Village was until I went on this trip and it's just such a powerful um, illustration I think of what the kingdom of God will be like. And so, Bethany, would you just come up and quickly try to explain what that is, what, what Reconciliation Village is? Yeah. And because she's doing this to me on the fly, I have not researched in a while, and so I'm probably going to be 75% correct. So this just means that you can go on Wikipedia after the service is over. <laughs> um, so one of the things that they discovered after the genocide ended was that as they were imprisoning people that were offenders during the genocide, um, the farming was really collapsing as an industry. And so um, subsistence farming is one of the ways that people um, earn a living and is the biggest part of their economy. Um, and so they tried to figure out what are ways that we can what can we do to work around this? And so um, they would let people out of prison that were offenders if they confessed and repented. 
Um, and so they would create these villages called reconciliation villages. And Musanze has, I think, 80% of all of the reconciliation villages in all of Rwanda. And they bring together the family members um, or people who had family members killed alongside um, people who killed their family members. And they live together um, in community. It, it's not been perfect, um, but it's been um, really a taste of heaven of, you know, the people that we don't like that are also, you know, members of the family of God, we're going to be spending eternity with. And so they've, you know, think about that for a little bit. Um, they, they've started that. And so, um, people work side by side. And so one of the preschools we partner with, um, is in that village. Again, 75% correct. Actually, I think it was a hundred percent. Thank you much better than I would have done. Um, but we really did. We had the just pleasure to meet, um, to actually go on site and visit this, um, preschool program that is in a new church that has been built in this reconciliation village. And, um, you may or may not know that the adjunct part of our partnership with this year, Dyrus, Diocese is, um, that we sponsor the One Egg Project over there, which is um, a, a program that ensures that each of these children who go to preschool over there within the Shira Diocese um, will get an egg a day throughout the school year, which is considered to be the optimal amount of protein. Um, so a lot of these children may or may not um, get an egg every day. They may just have some grains or who knows um, what they may have. So. It's a really great program um, here for us and for our children. Um, it's a very great, tangible thing that we can show, illustrate to them that um, our, our part of our pledge, part of um, donation, like our Lent money, Mike Box money goes to support this um, project. We got to see just in the past year, year and a half, we've been able to start the One Egg Project at this church we got to go and visit. And they're already, it's been open for six months. And there are like 150 kids there um, who are getting an egg a day just from the people of the Advent who've supported. And I say that a little bit in pride, but um, also just that that one small body of Christ um, can do that and can make that happen. And um, these children, y'all, we got to watch them get their egg and um, helping each other crack them. We're talking about four-year-olds, like little bitty four-year-olds who weren't knocking each other down to get their egg like our kids would be. Um, they were helping each other crack and peel their, their boiled eggs. And it was just such an incredible thing um, to witness. I'm going to hopefully be doing a better job in the coming months of um, getting pictures out and more word out about um, where where we're headed now. We're, we want to keep keep on in our, our work to support the One Egg Project. But um, we it's just a really great way to, to teach our children how we can, um, you know, we're not going to all get to go to... Um, to Rwanda, but we are able to pray for these children, for our brothers and sisters over there. Um, just an incredible ministry they've started within the Shira Diocese. Um, there really aren't preschools over there. Um, they just start elementary school, and there was a need. The mamas are out in the field most of the time doing work, and the kids are either at home or out in the fields with them. And so the the Shira Diocese had this brilliant idea, like let's let's get the children to come to church to preschool, and then a lot of these in turn, a lot of these families have either become Christians and have joined the church. Um, but it's been a really great way to bring in um, new people to to know Jesus and to grow in their relationship with them, and then also um, really teach these children just what we would teach our children in preschool. We got to listen. They did a little program for us, and we had somebody translating. They were counting to ten and 
Kenya, Rwandan, and then in English, they were saying the Lord's Prayer. So just things that we're doing right here in Birmingham, things we're teaching our children in Sunday school even um, that they're learning too. So um, we we will be more more and more will come forward about that, but it was just a, a joy um, to witness the work um, that God's doing over there, specifically through that program, which is, which is why I went. Um, but to see um, his hand at work in this reconciliation, it's... Um, very clear as Christians that we can all say it is only um, by the blood of Jesus that that's happening, um, that he's reconciling all things, um, even when it doesn't make sense. And um, even in the midst of that incredible pain and sorrow that um, that he is at work um, reconciling all things. So I want to make sure we leave time for questions. And there they are. Aren't they precious? <laughs> so, we wanted to leave plenty of time for questions. So I I'm going to take charge. Um, I would love to hear, and whoever has the thought first can share. Um, I I had the privilege since I went last year of watching everyone um, that hadn't been there before experience this for the first time. And oftentimes you saw the, the movement of the Holy Spirit in tears. And so if you could think back to really moments that stirred your soul. Um, you know, we'd read before, we had had this kind of logical preparation, but the things that you were not prepared for the way God was moving. Anyone want to share about that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, for me, you saw the books going around and read and so forth and try to prepare for this. But once you're there and starting with the Genocide Memorial uh, Museum there, Seeing 250,000 that are buried there, looking through a glass window and looking down into the bodies, the actual bodies that are buried there, and more being buried every day. The white linen on top of these bodies, the sign of the cross on top of the white linens, just shook me to my core. That just brought it to reality. Then you start and you go through the, the museum, the Genocide Museum, and you see the pictures of photos of thousands of bloody bodies just butchered, massacred in churches, on the streets, everywhere. It started to bring this. These are human beings just like you and us. And to think of the, I'm thinking of the depravity, you know, what could, and, but that blackness is, is me, struck me, because I know it's in all of us. You know, hopefully they're not to that degree, but my gosh. And then how the Lord could take this, and we went through you know, Holocaust and other genocides that are going on today and praying for these people. But I just, I'm, when I got out of there, I don't know, I was out of breath. It just struck me to the core. And then seeing the transition from that, leaving about maybe three, three and a half hours from that genocide up into the, to where the Triadasis is in, in the mountains and, and, and seeing the people and how they've overcome this and this reconciliation they keep talking about, it is absolutely overwhelming. And all of us, Every single one of us were literally, this is life-changing. People ask me, I tell, them, I tell them today, I said, this was literally the trip of a lifetime. I didn't sign up for it. I didn't volunteer. I just got this random email, praise God, from Bethany. And I praise the Lord, where are you leading me? My first mission trip. But I tell you, I still talk about this. And I'll, I'll go on forever. And it's, it, is, it just struck me to the core. So that's maybe a little bit of a start. But thank you. Anybody else? Okay, good. Thank you. How to do this? Um, I would say for me a couple of things, but one in particular, um, we finally got to Masanze like the second night. Um, the next morning, half the group went on the gorilla trek, and then the rest of us 
stayed and went to church at the cathedral, which is right next to where we were staying, and that's where they had the 178 people confirmed. And we were thinking, 178 people being confirmed? Oh, my goodness, that's going to take four hours. And they did it differently than we do. But you walk in, and the singing is just incredible. And then we noticed gradually people that knew who we were, they shifted us around and would put a Rwandan sitting next to each one of us to translate. So they welcomed us so beautifully. Um, and then another example of just that welcome and seeing the spirit at work was, I guess it was the first church we went to, the first mm-hmm. village. And I think Susan said, or one of you said, walking up the hill to the church and you hear singing and then you see them all lining the path singing. It's like if you've been to Crucio, it's kind of like that. But um, just an amazing welcome. And I think that first time is when I kind of fell apart. But it was beautiful. It's really amazing. Anybody else? No, well, I'll... <laughs> <laughs> no. But um, we did go visit several parishes. Um, I don't know which one this aside. But, um, but we, one thing that, um, that we were suffering through all together is that poor Elizabeth had a reaction to something right before the trip, and it stayed with her the entire time. And so these churches that we visited with, they were so excited to have us there, and they had these programs, and they had their choirs, and they were all dressed out, and um, like that. And so it was at this church, the one with, and um, and it was beautiful. And um, but they stopped the service at some point, and all the pastors there gathered around Elizabeth and placed their hands on Elizabeth, and it was so powerful to watch that. Um, Anyway, that was kind of my kind of wow. This was, it was special, and and um and then we went back back. But that was more important than anything at that point was someone in here needs to be healed, mm-hmm. and um they went out of their program and, and did that. So we've got about two minutes left, but um, and I'll let people if they want to stay and linger. Um, you can ask questions. And then also just know, um, you know, if people were not able to come to this class today but are interested in learning more about it, there are eight very willing people um, to go to lunch and coffee and just share more pictures than you'd ever want to see in your lifetime. But they're beautiful, and you should look at them and appreciate them. Um, and just talk about their experience and the way that they saw the Lord at work in a different way. Um, but one of the things we talk about before we go anywhere is, you know, we're there for a week, 10 days, and then we come back. And so... It's um, it's a great privilege to be able to go and to see God at work that not everyone you know gets to have. And so when we come back, what what are we called to do now? And so part of this sharing um, is part of that is is recognizing this great opportunity that we had. Um, and there were themes that came up through lots of our conversations when we got back home about hope um, and about great joy um, and the oneness that we have with brothers and sisters across the world, all through, um, all through Jesus. Um, and what a great gift that is. Um, and that was a really tangible thing to recognize. Like these, these are not just people we're calling brothers and sisters. They really are. And we felt it, um, in a really powerful way. So, um, I would like to say, and I've seen this, I mean, it's, it's changed all of us. And the more you're able to, to witness and to have the eyes to see God at work, um, he'll continue to transform you through that, whether it's in Rwanda or whether it's just in your backyard, um, making eye contact with people that maybe you wouldn't make eye contact with on a normal day. So um, let's pray. And then if you have time um, to stay after, then you can ask some more questions. So.
Father, we thank you that you um, are the creator of the universe, the creator of Birmingham, Alabama, and Musanze, Rwanda, um, and that you love all of us equally, um, so much so that you sent your own son um, to suffer and die um, for us. And so we thank you for that sacrifice, Lord, and we thank you for calling us into relationship and um, the beauty of what happens um, when we're in relationship with you and with one another, Lord. And so we ask that um, you do the work of reconciliation, um, not just in Rwanda, although we continue to pray for them, but also, Lord, in our own lives, in our own families, in our own city and country, Lord. We ask for you to bring healing and restoration um, where we can't seem to see a way forward, Lord. We ask that you will do the miraculous work of straightening the path forward. Um, and Lord, we thank you that you are the one who leads and guides us. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to encourage us. Um, give us wisdom and guide our steps, Lord, as we seek to follow you and serve your people. We ask all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.